Hi, I'm Rachel Bloom, and you know, the only thing better than reading Ray Bradbury is listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Giddy up! Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin an advanced invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess and take that we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. It is TalkCast 126, and it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Night here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Deep in Area 51 at the sub-level 14 subway station and Emporium, I am the Splinter Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight are the usual suspects, minus a few, unfortunately. In the Revere Time Vortex, Soundboard Vixen and Michelangelo Hardshell, it's How Kriana. Long the dudes? From the stacks of her personal silent zone in the dank dungeon reading room, with Casey and his hockey stick, it is the Zombrarian. It's not the silent zone anymore. We're thinking about installing an entire rink. Awesome. <laughs> From the four-color vault of comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, Gamora, an odd choice for a turtle, it is Illustrator X. Ah, uh, but my friends call me Ginsu. His lovely wife, the ingenue, the dead redhead, is missing tonight, but she would have been Magritte Turtle, and of course, also missing tonight from the Outpost Gallifrey Nymphomaniac Catch and Release Center in the Santa Clara County Belly Button Piercing Research Center, snuggled deep in the California wine country, awake by Java. We missed you, buddy. But our guest tonight, playing the part of Tutor the Turtle from the King Leonardo's Tales, it's artist, writer, and incredible cool guy, Tracy Hickman. Tracy, welcome to the show. Help me, Mr. Wizard. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you old enough to remember that, that was a cool impression. Tracy Hickman's new book is called Wayne of Gotham, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his Scribe Forge writing seminars. We're going to talk about the Black Shore series. We're going to talk about PayPal. We're going to... Uh, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but before we get started into all that, we're going to start like we normally do every week, except we're going to have somebody else do it for a change. Uh, well, I'll do it in my best uh, dead redhead voice here. Oh, God. Here it goes. Hello! <laughs> I'm telling. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, we're all Actually, this is being recorded. I don't even have to tell. This, this is our new sound clip. <laughs> Hello! Facebook! The Facebook poll this week. Oh, my God. The Facebook poll this week was, who makes the best minions? Now, if you're Jewish, that means something entirely different. Just uh, so you know it. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. Thank you very much. But on the countdown, we, once again, we had some great suggestions written in. Thank you to everybody who wrote in. But on number three, appropriately enough, were the Minions from Despicable Me. Because they look like Twinkies. And they're <laughs> awesome. And if you haven't seen the Despicable 2 trailer, you should. Because yeah. they sing. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of cool. 
you know, and I, you know, as much as I'm not a fan of those kinds of movies as a rule, when they catch you, they catch you, and they're good. And Despicable Me was kind of cool. Uh, I was pulling for Jaeger monsters myself, but what a shock! <laughs> number two was uh, on this one really took me by surprise. Number two were the gob the Muppet Goblins um, that David Bowie ruled in Labyrinth. That's a, an incredibly old school move, right there. That right. Very cool. Kudos to everyone who wrote in for that one. But number one, again, when we get a number one, it tends to outdo everyone by three to one at least. This one and did it, as well. <laughs> this was no exception. This was the Monarch's Henchmen from the Venture Brothers series. I still don't know who those are. Maybe we should mention why we're saying that I still don't know who they are. All right, uh, go ahead. Because your life is bleak and without meaning. But that will change because Tracy Hickman is on tonight and he will fill your jo- life with bliss well, and joy. Well, that, but there's another reason. Dome. Huh? Okay. Yeah, we're, we're going to pull back the veil of technology now and let you know that this is actually being taped on Friday night instead of Thursday Shh. night. No! Shh! When, no! <laughs> when Don't we did tell our- them they'll find us. We did our live show last night, and then we went to listen to the playback as we were going to post it and realized there was no playback. <sighs> you know. So we pulled everybody back together and said, hey, remember what we did last night? Let's do that again tonight just for the hell of it. And most of us were able to play along. So here we are back again. Deal with it. <laughs> Rev. That, that is right. And I am here once more to be spontaneous. <laughs> okay. Turn the cue card. <laughs> hey, good thing we transcribed our episode as we recorded it last night. Oh my god, yes. Flake and Little Earth and Annie. Drop page. <laughs> Drop page. Yes, very nice. So anyhow, now that we've gotten through that story, we don't know what next week's Facebook poll is going to be. It's always a mystery. And wrapped in an enigma sandwich. Dead Redhead has a secret method for choosing the question. So far, it's working. Yeah, she asks me. <laughs> Will you please come up with a question? Because every time she asks it's me, just bad. it's wrong. It's just bad. <laughs> Not even wrong, just bad. I'm curious, have you ever asked what was the worst villain? Like, worst as in and most I don't mean evil, like, or worst as in, like... No, not like as in most evil, because there's a lot of most evil that, like, can spring to like, mind. Like I mean, like, the most... Most incompetent. Most incompetent, most unbelievable villain. Oh, well, right off the top, there's Dark Helmet from Spaceballs. Uh, that was in... Yeah, I don't think parodies so count, count No, it does count, because, uh... uh because Dark don't want it to count. Also, Okay, no. well then, what about the aliens? What about Eros from Plan Nine of Outer Space? <laughs> Here we go, Eros. Yeah. I'm jotting him down, folks. Here we go. Why, <laughs> Joe? Why, Tracy? What did you have for suggestions? Well, I, there's so many, you know, that 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 immediately spring to mind. No, I I don't have one actually at the moment. I I I've someone once called me the vice president of evil. And, and say, <laughs> Spiro Agnew of evil. Nice. Spiro Agnew of evil. No, they 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 call me the vice president of evil because I they said that I made such great villains, and you know my response to that was one, who's the president of evil, and two, what do I have to do? <laughs> 
Well, if you're the vice president of evil, I think you know what you have to do. Well, yes. If if the president of evil cannot fulfill his duties, then the vice president of evil. <laughs> exactly. Well, Tracy, on our show now, you now have a new title. You are now officially <laughs> the vice president of evil. And I've been trying so hard to clean up my act. And failed so miserably to this point. <laughs> so anyhow, what's been going on this week in the news in Completely sci-fi? Completely spontaneously. Well, Completely. Let, item one that we covered last night that we're going to cover again. <laughs> Which I didn't want to cover yeah. in the Michael first place, P- let me just say again. Yeah, the uh, president of evil, Michael Bay. <laughs> <laughs> Can he be an unintentional evil person as well? Yeah. Having, ru- having ruined the Transformers franchise, swears he will not ruin the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle franchise. Except he already did. And I think he's lying. Well, I'm- he did kind of say that, well, they're not mutants and they're aliens now. And they're hip and they're fresh. Kill me, kill me. Fresh and turtle. They are fresh turtles. Yeah. Well, it makes for good soup. Does uh, does uh, Will Smith do one of the voices? The fresh turtle <laughs> of Bel Air? Well, I guess that would be a snapping turtle, wouldn't it? Oh. Oh. I would watch, I would that, watch that movie, movie too. <laughs> Don't say that! Oh, God! Because really? he'll do it! Yeah, no, it's going to happen. happen. Like, <laughs> which one do you think no, he'd be the best at? I, I, could see, I could see Will Smith as... as who would he be? Michelangelo? Donatello. Michelangelo or Donatello, yeah, probably. Yeah, but it, for truth in advertising, aren't we going to have to change the title of the movie to, like, um, Aliens from Outer Space Ninja Turtles? No? It could just be Men in Black 4. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> oh, and after Men in Black 2, we have Men in Black 3. To I know, and I am! That's not... Oh, how could you? Oh my you God. try not to, and then you watch the trailer, and it's got Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol, yeah. Well, you know, I, I I watch those movies with my eyes closed because to me, it's the writing and the dialogue that sells the Black, Black franchise. Is that sarcasm? <laughs> That's painful. Character I development. Think it's Will Smith being awesome. <laughs> Shooting crap. It's all Whenever about Will this. Smith doesn't take himself seriously, he's awesome. Whenever oh, really? he does take himself seriously, he's a douche. Okay, so what happened in the Wild Wild West? It was awesome because oh, yeah. Selma it was Hayek awesome. is a big metal spider. Excuse me, that was a piece it of crap. It was awesome. Yes, but it was an amusing piece of crap that had Selma oh. Hayek's boobs. No, it you wasn't. Are so, you are so lucky the Says dead the red man who likes Smallville. Listen, no, Dead Redhead is 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 Netflixing the entire Wow Wow West original run, which is amazing. And she is just like every episode I get running commentary. Of course. And it's just like, you see, you see how good this is, what the importance of this is. I'm like, I I see that uh there's 45 minutes left to go. Yes. But <laughs> But I do like it. It's a good show. Um, and I'm couldn't just it have been improved by Salma Hayek's boobs? I think everything boobs. could be improved by Salma Hayek's boobs. <laughs> just wear also, the gigantic really metal excels. spiders. How do you improve on that? Okay, so then Transformers was a great franchise because of Megan Fox. She's not Salma Hayek. No. That is uh, true. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely <laughs> true. And neither is Dr. DNA Hitler. proves Canyon. it. 
Well, since we're on this subject, what about the doctor's new companion? Super hot. Yes, indeed. That was the best segue we've ever had on the show. <laughs> <laughs> it made more sense than a lot of the segues. Hey, can most of the oh, wait, should I put a good segue sound? Yes. yes. Good there we go. Thank you. Yes, that's right. Yes. I, using my prescient ability here that I have to look into the future, I realized that we probably should talk about this subject. Yes. Season okay. seven of Doctor Who, we lose Amy and oh. Dear, dear Amy, Rain I will pond. miss your legs. Love Kriana. Rain the I pond. love Amy. Dear, dear Rory, I will miss you. I will miss all of you. And about halfway through season seven, they are replaced by the new one, Jenna Louise Coleman. Who is cute as a button. She is absolutely freaking Wait, adorable. Wait, is that the actress's name or the character name? That's the actress's, actress's name. Actress's name. They haven't announced the character name yet. Donatello. Apparently, she's very it's mysterious. Not <laughs> Is it April? Mm. Oh, it could have been April O'Neil. You never know. She's Irish. Just a little bit. Sure. So the but cool thing help. Steve Moffat said about her is when they did the audition, they sat here in a room with Matt Smith, and the two of them just started talking to each other. And it got faster and faster and faster and faster. And she said, she's crazy enough to match him. And Good. This ought to be wonderful. Right. And it's an economic move because you get to have a two-hour show into a one-hour period of one time. Great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Plus, there are going to be 14 episodes in this season, which includes the Christmas episode. And the 50th anniversary episode. And if I remember correctly, we're going to meet the new companion in the Christmas episode. Right. This time. Instead of him having a temporary Christmas companion, he's going to meet his new companion on Christmas. Which means that the Christmas episode will actually have continuity with the rest of this season, which it very rarely... What? (laughs) But they've also said that... I find that sur- a little bit surprising since they're saying that they're trying to move away from a continuous story arc model and they're trying to move back towards the show's the roots, of the, the monster of a week. Yeah. I'm not sure if I, 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 I don't know. You know, I feel like I, the story I, I, arcs have gotten too complicated yeah. on Doctor Who. I yes. still think, if we're going to be talking about monster of the week, I still think that Doctor Who going to Downton Abbey is a great idea. That would, yes. I still think that would be the most phenomenal thing to ever happen on Downton Abbey. And Java, who really, truly, really and truly loves Downton Abbey with me, that was not sarcasm. Java loves Downton Abbey. Oh, yeah. You said last week. All your unwanted Downton Abbey merchandise to Awake by Java, and he will love you forever. Um, it would probably be one of the more plausible things that happens on that show. I mean, seriously, how can you go wrong if you got Maggie Smith in, in the TARDIS? It, it, it works for me. I think she would be oh. great. I think she would look at that thing, hit it with her walking stick, and say, well, it's ugly, but let's go. Because <laughs> <laughs> she is Maggie Smith, and she doesn't... Take she shit from shit. anyone. Wait. She is you know, honestly, funny. actually, now that I think about it, Maggie Smith would make a great doctor. I think she should be like... Season 12. Doctor. I think that she should be the first female doctor. Yeah. 
I keep waiting for somebody to have the guts to, to pull the trigger on that. You know, I mean, they came close with well, River Song. Going, we're probably going to have a black doctor first. Possibly. That was a joke at the president. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, that one yeah, fell flat sorry. then. But that's yeah, I'm not the only one that that happens to. Perfect. Couldn't be happier. <sighs> no, but we should start a campaign or something. No, oh, I think a female doctor would be a really great move, actually. I think it would be really cool. And I, I think Maggie Smith disagree. playing that female doctor would be a stroke of genius if they could I get know. it. Oh. <laughs> uh. Why is sad? Why is it sad, Doug? Oh, okay. Because uh, he's so wistful and longing for it. Okay. Oh, my. He's wistful. <laughs> Thanks, George Takei. So, so when, is it, when is it due to come back? Downton Abbey? No. <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> Doctor Who. I don't know. And we all draw blank. Wow. That's not on okay. the machine. Wow. Someone to the Google machine. Go to the Google machine. That's not on the mm. thing from yesterday. I thought we were just sticking to the thing. <laughs> Sorry. All you right. Mess me up with your changes and your. Everybody fun. get back and on your cue cards. Your, what's up with all this spontaneity and joy? Joy? <laughs> Bitch, we really need to stop, stop that happening. Joy bullshit. Damn it. I don't know what's your guys' problem. I'm having a great time. I was going to say, there's nothing enjoyable about our fun. What's next? So say we all. Whatever. What's next? Well, see, here's the thing about the next point. It was much better last night because yeah. Java was here. <laughs> uh, yes, I, this is a this, way to sell this. I mean, seriously. you know. I said, well, what we had last night was ever so much more clever than what we have tonight. Yeah, if only it existed. Yeah. But it's you so just... Yeah, if the audience going to have to actually play that out and just fucking roll with it. I just if... miss Java a lot. Oh. They're there. Who am I going to fight yeah. with uh, if Java's well, not here? You can fight with yeah. Triana. That's fine. I, I'm not feeling do that all really the time. contentious tonight. Well, that's, that's very rare for you. Congratulations. <laughs> it's not, man. So, the... In game for season two of Walking Dead. Warnings. Spoilers. Warnings. Spoilers. I will take the Java position. Well, it's about time they, they had something worth filming on this show. I mean, I've only spent a, almost two seasons watching it, and about time it almost entertained me here. Wow, thank you, Java. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Remarkable acting. You should be an actor. And uh, I know. <laughs> All right. You know, it's funny too because all all across the interwebs, there's there's this whole new meme of. Oh my God! Dome said interwebs I, and meme in the same sentence. Look out, everyone! I did. Look out! I did. Wow! He's gonna and say it, indoor plumbing. Why do we hate Lori so much? Why? Why? Really? Really? Mean to yell. Like, like people need to have this explained to them. 
what a jackass she is. What a jackass that character is. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said Rory from Doctor Who. Lori from The Walking Lori. Dead. Oh, she's kind of a bitch. <laughs> the thing about Walking Dead is sooner or later you wait long enough, the character will get killed. Well, I hope not because uh, then it ends wait, up being like a, a, a movie. I don't know. Does he? Does he? <laughs> I haven't got that far yet. Spoil me. Uh, and I, what, I, in, the, in the books or the books. TV show? Oh, no. No, no, no. Make her read. Oh, absolutely. I just said I'm not going to spoil that. Actually, I just found that he's not dead. Ah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah, ah, she found dead. my false wiki. Yeah, nice try, X. I know you don't know how to put up a website. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> I have a hammer. Aw. <laughs> he's so <laughs> He has Elmer's glue. He hey, and these are not the hammer. How many oh how many shows in a row? No, can I was I say watching that? the I was watching the television the other night, and I think there's a drug actually that can help false wiki. <laughs> um, it has a lot of really uh, bad side effects, uh, but you know they show pictures of people running through fields uh, over the announcement of the side effects, and so it's obviously yeah. not that bad. And they've got that air pudding music in the background. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're a crop circle, so it doesn't really count. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyways, there was, a yeah. there was a zombie apocalypse on the show this past week. There was. There absolutely and it was, was nice. And lots it's of nice. people got killed and eaten. And but there weren't fun. actually that many zombies. Uh, there were more in that one episode were, seen the entire okay, season, okay, too. There were more there zombies were, than have ever been in your There were kitchen, maybe okay? more zombies than were in the air quotes horde. Yes, the, the inevitable loop of the same people yeah, over and over that again. Was sad. Dear Walking Dead, that was oh. sad. Yeah, Dear Walking Dead, dear AMC, next time you decide to cut their budget in half, get your freaking head examined. Next time you decide to fire the showrunner, get your head examined. You really just neutered this show, and it's kind of ridiculous. Maybe it's a girl. It could have been Spade. Well, now, here's my question. If you don't like it that much, why are you still watch it? I actually maintain that the problem with the show is not that this... Well, this season was bad. But this season was not bad because their ideas were bad. It was bad because they were told, you have half the money, but you have to fill twice the time. Yep. So, in effect, they had a quarter of their resources. And That's they had to take... Path. And I think the way that they did what... I think the way that they dealt with having a quarter of their resources was they took their their plan for each episode... And stretched it to two episodes. Except for in the case of the first half, where they took their plan for two episodes and stretched it into six. I so, feel like if you if you take that season and you take every two episodes, so you take one and two and condense it down to one episode, and you take three and four and condense yeah. it down to one episode, they become much better, much better episodes. Kind of. Yeah, and I think so, that they're finally hitting their stride with the new format that they've been given and with the new budget that they've been given. And I think that now that they know how to work with it, 
we're going to see a return to the awesome that was season one. I hope so. Uh, you know, I think I gotta, I, I've got to disagree with that to a certain extent. I just think it's bad storytelling. I, really? I, I mean, think it's Yeah. I mean, you know, stre- stretching it, the fact of the matter is that most film and, and television especially has to be what they call upcut. You have to, you have to, sh- you have to shorten it. You have to tighten it, not, not, not try to drag it out. I think it's really obvious when you try to drag stuff out. And I don't think you save, I mean, you know, writers in the theater, they are highly revered. And the word <laughs> of the writer in the theater is sacrosanct. However, I've always wanted to use that word, by the way. However, oh, in boy. Hollywood, you know, writers are like the last guy that they pay. And, and you know, and they pay them the least, too. And they pay them the least. And, the, and for that matter, they're not even invited to the, to the party at the end of the filming. Do I sense some so, underlying bitterness here? <laughs> no, of course not. I, I have no bitterness involved. Yeah, but and yet the thing they're afraid of most is a blank page. It's true, and not only are they afraid of a blank page, but they are afraid of a crafted page. They, uh, uh, you know, they, they they don't value uh, they don't value the structure and the story, and that's a big problem in Hollywood right now, is that they simply do not understand story structure and how to craft a decent story. You don't have to. They they believe for some reason that that if you pour enough blood on it or enough makeup. And, or throw in enough special effects and and, and 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 loud sounds that no one is going to notice that there's no story here. When in fact, you know, I I was watching um, I, I, one of my favorite films is Vertigo, Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Oh man, yeah! What an incredibly beautifully crafted suspense tale that was. I and disagree. I disagree. I disagree. Yes. Twist. I disagree because that movie does not, if you think about it, why would she go through all that trouble to trick him that way? It doesn't add up. It does. It violates Occam's razor. It doesn't make sense that she would go through all that to mess with Jimmy Stewart like that. It doesn't make sense to you, but maybe there's a backstory that you don't know about. Well, you think in a two and a half hour movie that they'd get to it at some point? Not really. No, you know, I for me though, it worked. I'll tell you what does work though, and I, that, that I saw the other day, and that was another Hitchcock thing, which is Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and these ah. are thirty minute stories, right? That were done back in the fifties into the sixties, I think, and uh, and and I've watched I've watched a couple of these, and and they're only thirty minutes long, and I mean, you know, the budget was I I don't know. Fifty-two dollars and a sandwich to split for lunch. I, it was the the budget wasn't that. I mean, the production value in terms of what we do today is was nothing, but the stories were all structured strongly, yes, and and filmed strongly. I think my point here is that it is is that Chrome doesn't make a great automobile. And and the, one of the things that Hollywood seems to have wrong, and and television seems to have wrong, is that they think if they can throw enough chrome on the car, they don't need an engine. You know, it's funny too because the Twilight Zone was fashioned in much the same way. Uh, you know, some of those seminal episodes oh, like uh, the Monsters Who Do on. No, I'm Ew. sorry, we can't. Like the Monsters Who Do on Maple Street or Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, just amazing stuff. 
amazing storytelling at its finest. Sure. 20, 22 minutes. But and and here we are, and we're at twelve episodes, and we got from the road to the barn, and that's it. It was really frustrating. It was incredibly frustrating. I mean, I think the, uh, and I hate to say it, but the, the a lot of the public they want the Flash. I mean, the fact that Transformers Two, uh, you know, turned a profit. Look, period. no one's saying you can't have it proof. though. No one is saying you can't have it. What we're saying is that it's better to have a structure under the Flash to support it, and that will make everything a lot better. Instead of making whatever profit, you know, they, whatever it was Transformers made, they could have maybe made double that if the story had been good. Well, I remember uh, back when Twin Peaks was out that um, seeing something that it said that why the networks hated that show and they're like because the fans are really into the writing and the character and the whole essence of it and they're not paying attention to the commercials as much people who just watch stuff for the surface actually watch the commercials more and that's why you have fans that are like I'm, I will watch The Prisoner over and over and over and just yep. pick apart the nuances and stuff. Yeah. You know, if, if I'm watching so what is, a- so what does that say about the audience that we have educated to come into the theater and continue texting through the, set, through the middle of the film? Uh, and, and, or that and, can't shut the hell up. Or that can't shut up. And they have to talk because it's, it, it's, it's how they have learned to watch film. They sit at home and they can talk. Nobody cares. The, and, and so if we just give them something that is surface enough, then they will buy whatever it is that we're trying, uh, trying to sell them. This, uh, this, this is not the science fiction and speculative fiction that I grew up with. The speculative fiction I grew up with was very thoughtful and forward-thinking and progressive. And, and rather than rather than all flashy lights and 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 pretty sound. I mean, you know, you talk about some of the best science fiction movies that were made. The original, The Day the Earth Stood Still, as opposed to that horrendous remake when of it. When did they remake that? Uh, about five years ago. Yeah, Keanu Reeves. You're, you're just was blocking. Keanu. Yeah, Keanu Reeves was in it. Did he make his expression? Ridiculous. Yes, continuously. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the robot had more expressions than Keanu Reeves. I had more. I had more pathos and identity with the robot than I did with Keanu. But that's my Absolutely. own prejudice. And I have more pathos. Oh. And what did you say? I'm sorry. You're all much more. I lost than my I sentence, was. but it was going to be making fun of Kristen Stewart. So that's fun. Oh, that's, that's yeah. True. We saw a preview of Breaking Dawn two today. Um, when we went to see the Hunger Games. Oh, good. Lord. And Snow White and the Huntsman. By the way, I will have to say the Hunger Games is actually quite a well-crafted story, and since they stuck to it very faithfully, at least to the basic story structure in the movie, the film came out quite well. Hmm. Well, and I think that that's important. You have to be true to the. True to well, the you story. think that's important. Yeah. Peter yeah. Jackson doesn't. You do a very good job sticking to. I'm the story. still bitter about the end of Return of the King, guys. I'm still. Of course you are. Negated the whole point of the damn books. What? Wait, wait a minute. Which ending? The one. Uh, okay. So what he didn't do? 
Oh, God. He, he didn't have um, the whole part where they come back to the Shire and Saruman is there and he's enslaved all the hobbits and then they have to rescue, basically, the Shire after they've come home from saving the world? Yeah, he didn't yeah. do any of that. You know, I, I was only questioning that because the movie itself ended five separate times and... and <laughs> And and I was I, I myself was a little confused at his choice in, in in doing that, but yeah, in terms of the mythic cycle, it would have been better if he had been able to do that. In terms of the whole well, entire the like, is... way Tolkien structured the story, I mean, yes, mythic cycle, but he very deliberately did that to prove a point. And that point that was when you leave home. Nothing's ever quite the same. You can come back, but you're changed, and then you find out not only did you change, but home has changed too. Yeah, but that was Joseph Campbell's point in the end of the mythic, uh, in, at the end of the monomyth, is that the hero when he comes home finds home is either he is so changed by the experience that home no longer connects with him the way it used to. Or that home itself has changed in his absence, and that it is no longer the place that and he I thought think it was. Tolkien but, intended to do both, and Peter Jackson decided, "Ah, oh, we'll just go with the first one." Seriously, that's what he did. He literally just went with the first one. It's true, but in a weird, weird, do not tell me it worked. Do not weird tell me way, because it, it didn't. No, it didn't work. It didn't work. But you know what? It's almost a good thing that it didn't work. Because if you look at the huge juggernaut film series that have come out since Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, I hate to cite it, but Twilight, and now Hunger Games, they've all stuck as closely as they possibly can within the limits of filmmaking and probably budget and, and ratings, they've stuck to their source material much more closely, and they've all been successful. And I think that while they, Hollywood might not have learned its lesson entirely about ch- changing source material, I think that it was a huge wake-up call when people were ver- were you know, so I, angry sure about Lord and I'm not sure that it has been true. The reason that Peter Jackson's end of Return of the King felt like such a betrayal is because what he had done up until that point was fabulous. You know, he he got, especially in Fellowship of the Ring, he was extraordinarily, he went above and beyond to be true to the books. Everything he cut, there was a real concrete reason for doing so. And he... And visually and, and he emotionally, a, he, he maintained he it did. very nicely. But when you get into the two towers and things start falling apart right in the middle when Saruman is killed, and then you're like, okay. No. Okay. That's now weird. What? Why did that happen? And then you get down to the Battle of Helm's Deep, and all of a sudden there are tons of elves there. And that I also kind of had a problem with. Well, you know. On the one hand, you have that issue. On the other hand, you have a movie like Blade Runner. Well, thank you. That's what I wanted to say. I knew I that you were going to head there because Blade Runner is a film that you and I both adore. I'm on it. Right. And, it, and yet, it's... in terms of being true to the source material, yeah. not quite. Right. Not quite at all. You can be... I, I don't care if you make changes as long as they're good changes. They're and it's valid. so rare... 
it's so rare that you get but yeah, that. So you need to have a director well, who can actually, actually freaking make good changes. And these directors have so much hmm. ego that they think, oh, yeah, you know, I can change Tolkien, whatever. Well, the real, hmm. the real problem, I think, here is not addressing the, the actual story as much as it is addressing the emotional expectation of the audience for the story. Uh, Maybe, yeah. When, well, when I, did, when, I, when I did the Batman novel, when I did, when I did Wayne of Gotham, uh, the first thing that they said to me is, "Oh, wow, dude! You know, we want you to make this Wayne of Gotham, but it's going to be just awesome, and you can do anything you want with Batman." And yeah, the first thing I thought was, "Wow, man, I can do anything I want with Batman." And the the second thing I thought was, "Oh, man, don't do anything you want with Batman." <laughs> yeah, and that's because that's because there's an emotional expectation in the audience of what Batman is, and. And and so the biggest challenge I had, I started doing research into the Batman mythos, and you know, pouring through the the encycl the, the essential encyclopedia of Batman, and 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 discovered that that there've been a lot of people down through the years who did whatever they wanted to do with Batman, and you had this completely in, incongruous background for this character, you know, that spans like fifty years of change and concept and. And, and and different approaches to the to to the character, and while the background remains essentially the same, the emotional background, the one that we identify with, you know, young kid, parents killed in front of him in the alleyway, you know, grows up to be become the Cape Crusader, inspired by this event, uh, or 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 maybe framed by this event. Yeah, that that the details and all of that are completely different depending on who you're talking to and what and what time period you're talking you know is it part of the multiverse is it part of the omniverse and so and so the real challenge for me as as a creative for for Wayne of Gotham was to capture the the emotional essence of Batman and, and to weave together a cohesive cloth out of all of these strands of elements so that when I come in front of people and I say okay this is Wayne of Gotham and this is the story of, that I want to tell about Batman, Batman you know, that, that Kriana doesn't come up to me afterwards and say, I really screwed up the ending. I, I, that's what, what I want to be able to have is for people to, say, to have the emotional connection with that without, uh, and, and, and to feel like the, the, the book is essentially true to Batman. But there's an essential truth that you have to go with here. And the essential truth is, you know where this story ends, where the story Wayne of Gotham ends. You know exactly where you need for it to be. And you know exactly where it starts. So within that framework, if you're going to be true to the ending you know that it has to be, then, yeah, you can do anything. Yeah, within, within that context, yeah. But I also have the audience that I have to consider who, who believes that they know Batman. And I have to be able to say something new about Batman for them that nevertheless rings true, that it, that it still has a resonance with what they believe Batman to be. Uh, and and, and that's, that was probably, for me, the biggest challenge of all in this book. I had a, this incredible story that I wanted to tell, but I also knew that I had a responsibility not only to the audience, but to 50 years of creatives who had, had put their own ideas and, and, and perspectives into the character. So how much of everybody else's insight into 
this mythos did you actually incorporate and what were you able to just kind of lay aside and say that doesn't really apply here well yeah I, I, it was great because I was able to I, I felt like I, was, I should touch on certain characters that there were some characters that simply had to be in the book the the Joker had to be in the book and and Harley Quinn had to be in the book of she course was, <laughs> she was an absolute delight to write by the way her dialogue was just was a thrill for me to write. For that matter, the Joker was also. Uh, apparently, I, I really enjoy writing Psychopath. Um, Vice President, uh, and that's and, a fine pair of psychopaths. <laughs> yeah, well, Vice President of Evil, of course. You know, it's what I'm going to enjoy. Um, <laughs> but you know, they said they told me they said, well, you know, redesign the suit and, and redesign the Batmobile. Well, everybody's redesigned the suit and the Batmobile. What am I going to do? Um, and I actually took an, a, an approach to that within the context of the book. Um, uh, the, the book is really I, the re book is really about um, about Bruce Wayne and Batman having to face down the reality of Thomas Wayne, Bruce's father. You know, who's who's always been seen as a saint, who's always been seen as a martyr, who's always seen as 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 the unblemished lamb that was sacrificed. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And what. And what, what the book is about is essentially begins with the past intruding on Batman's present, where he, where he is discovering that events that happened back in 1957 with his father are being mimicked in the present and, and leads him to reopen the case of his father's, um, uh, of his father's death and discover that it wasn't what he thought it was. It wasn't what the public thought that it was. And and that, and that his father, in many ways, is responsible for a lot of the problems in Gotham today. And you know, facing down the reality of his father's mortality is is, is a difficult journey. And so, so, as a consequence, when I go back, I you know, when we go back into the fifties, for example, I've got um, I've got Thomas Wayne uh, driving uh, a Ford Futura huh. uh, as a gift of his from his father. Uh, for his graduation from Harvard Medical, and 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 in the seat next to him in this Ford Futura, and he complains. It's wonderful because he complains about this dreadful car that he has to drive, um, and and all of the problems that he has with this Ford Futura, and, and what have you and, got against Ford? And, which actually, well, I've got nothing against Ford, but the Ford Futura was a dog automobile. I mean, it really was. <laughs> it had it had that bubble canopy that came down, <laughs> right? And the bubble canopy, they found out that after they built the thing, when the bubble canopy closed, it sealed the compartment. And there wasn't enough ventilation through the compartment. And so it was like sitting in a greenhouse. They, the, the sun would beat down through this plexiglass canopy, and it would heat up the interior a dreadful amount. There was, on the back of the Ford Futura, there was this little antenna that had a ball uh, fixed on it. <laughs> yes, and it, I remember. You remember this, and the, yeah, the reason that this ball was fixed on the back of the on this antenna was it was actually a microphone. It was it was a microphone because between the seats inside the Ford Futura there was a speaker, because once the canopy sealed and you couldn't put it in gear until the canopy sealed closed like a safety feature, uh -huh. right? Once the canopy was closed, um, you could not hear, hear outside the car, <laughs> and so they had to put a microphone 
to a speaker inside the compartment so you could hear what was going on outside the car. Uh, it was... Uh, it was it was a it was a bizarre automobile. It was you know futuristic, and that was fine. All right, I just but, looked it up. That is a really ugly car. It is. <laughs> no well, shit. actually, the interesting thing about the Ford Futura was that that the finish that was on it was a fish scale finish, and people who saw it, who actually saw it, it had this translucent quality in, it, and it actually kind of shimmered in the light. That that was beautiful. But it didn't photograph. And so all of the pictures of it, it looks like kind of a dull, lusterless automobile <laughs> because they could never photograph that particular finish properly. So, okay, so flash forward. The Ford Futura, of course, was later turned into the Batmobile by Barris in the, in the 60s. The 1966 Batmobile was built on a Ford Futura or the Ford Futura. And so when we flash forward, we, we go to the Batcave, and, and Batman is talking in the Batcave, is reflecting on the different Batmobiles. And he talks about one of his favorites being an old Ford Futura that his father owned that he had converted into a Batmobile. <laughs> and he talks about, you know, the, the cars later on, dec as the decades went by, the cars got more muscular and... and and, 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 and almost tank-like in the final incarnations. And, and he talks about, he talks about the, the, the 80s Batmobile, and he talks about the Tumblr, and, and, and he talks about the constant evolution because for him, it's almost, almost there, but not yet. It's almost perfect, but not yet. And, and as, a character, as, a, as, as a character, Batman is constantly searching for this perfection, both in himself and in his equipment and in the world, and never finding it. Well, and no. so that's why we see this evolution of cars. That's why we see these evolution of suits. Um, and, and so that, that was what I tried to bring to Wayne of Gotham, was to take you know, the, these disparate ideas and then weave them together into a, a cohesive um, fabric, something that made sense and, and, and bring all of those things together. So I have all of the different Batmobiles plus this one that I have cobbled together and I've got all, of the, all the suits and this new suit that I have created for him here. But it still looks like a bat suit. It's still got a utility belt it's still got a cowl. It's still got a cape. Um, because that's the emotional connection to Batman. Batman has to be Batman was, um, was kind of the battle cry and all of that. And, and so, so for me, again, as, as just back to the original point in this, it was a matter of making sure that even though we were telling a new story and telling it differently, it still had to emotionally connect with the expectation of the audience. It, it had to it had to feel like Batman, whatever it is that we did new. Well, it's interesting that you say that because Batman is one of the most pliable characters out there. I mean, the Batman of the fifties, you know, with Batmite and Aqua Batman and Rainbow Batman is a completely <laughs> different character that, than the Christian Jazz Hill. Hands, sorry. Oh yeah. yes, and yet they all work. That's the beauty of the character. You can have all these different takes on the character, and yet it's still like, yep, that's Batman. 
Mm-hmm. Adam West and Christian Bale, I mean, fans can appreciate both oh of them. God. I should have used yeah, Adam West tonight. That's true. But, I mean, you know, hats off to you for being able to make a version that you're like, this is my Batman, and this is how it integrates with the rest of them. Well, yeah, and hopefully what I've done here is to honor what uh, what 50 years of people have contributed to this character in doing so. Um, because there's a little bit, I think there's a little bit of all of them, really, in uh, somewhere in somewhere in the book. Although apparently not Zorro, but that's a different story altogether. So why is that a different story altogether? Well, yeah, it's, uh, one of the problems that we had with uh, with Batman was uh, I was writing in the fifties and I wanted to make it very authentic, and so I kept putting in references in the fifties. When 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 Thomas Wayne is driving down the road in his Ford Futura, he's been out all night and uh, he's he's got Martha Kane, his next door neighbor and girl that he adores, is passed out drunk in the seat next to him. <laughs> and said, "Well, well, and in the history, Martha Kane was a party girl, and in fact was involved with uh, with the Moxons uh, to a certain extent back in the fifties. Um, and involved in a big scandal uh, about a uh, an orphanage fire, all of which is part of this book. Um, but anyway, uh, you know he, he's listening on the radio to the Everly Brothers uh, singing "Wake Up Little Susie," which was popular at the time. And uh, I, I, it's when everybody was really happy about this with the publisher and everybody else until I got up to. Uh, Warner Brothers and somebody at Warner Brothers says, hey, you can't have this. This is copyright. You can't put this in here. I said, no, no, it's okay. It's covered under fair use copyright law. And they said, no, we don't want it in here at all. You have to take that out. You know, and so we had we had to remove the lyrics and we had to simply talk about him listening to the radio and, and a close harmony duet singing something about a girl staying up all night at a drive-in. So, okay, fine. So we get around that. Um, but... But Zorro was actually a big part of the background for for Batman, and uh, so we had and and there is a scene in the history of of Thomas Wayne where he goes to a ball at the Kane Mansion and is filmed uh, uh, beating up some thugs at the Wayne Mansion or at the Kane Mansion, uh, dressed up in a costume that looks like he's a bat. It's supposed to be a Zorro costume. And this is in the this is in the history. This is in the Encyclopedia of Batman, and and in the history of Batman. And they got to that point, and it says, and uh, once again, Warner Brothers says you can't have Zorro in here. And then they, they said, well, you can't have the Disney Zorro in here, but you can probably have the 1928 Douglas Fairbanks version of Zorro in here. What? Okay, fine. So I rewrote that. <laughs> Because the Douglas Fairbanks version was in public domain. In public domain. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So I rewrote that, and then I, I and we sent it back up to them, and they said, and then it came back down. No, you can't have Zorro at all. That's not even Douglas Fairbanks Zorro. No, you can't have Zorro at all. So I, I got uh, feeling a little upset about this. I actually tracked down who owns the Zorro co- Zorro copyright. And who turns, does own the Zorro copyright? Well, truthfully, nobody does. Uh, if you if you look at the 1996 ruling of the California court, which says when it was brought before them said, you know what, this is 80 years old. It's public domain. I'm sorry. Uh, but then that, that judge vacated that ruling. And so it's kind of still up in the air. <laughs> okay. 
So if anybody owns it, it's a company called Zorro Productions uh, in, in California. So I emailed Zorro Productions. Zorro Productions got, I, I called them and I actually talked to the president of Zorro Productions. And I said, I want to use Zorro in this Batman book. And the president says, well, isn't that covered under fair use? And I said, well, yes, yes, it is covered under fair use. But, you know, they say I need a, I need a clearance until they'll feel better. He said, well, that sounds great. He says, why don't you send me a couple of copies of the book and I'll give you a, a written release. I thought sounded good to me. But even with the written release, um, uh, here in the United States of litigation, you, they didn't want to do that either. And so I had to take the reference to Zorro out of the book, even though it's part of the background. I, I surgically removed it, though. It, it, he's, it's still in there. It's just, he's just not called Zorro. Um, in fact, I think at one point in the middle of all of this in frustration, I, I, started, uh, I started singing, um, Out of the night, when the moon's shining bright, comes the horseman known as Anonymous 1800's Vigilante Guy. That's classic. That is absolutely I know that classic. guy. He's that guy that uses the letter as his, like, trademark. With his sword, he like carves yeah, his letter and you stuff. Yeah, that guy yeah. who does that thing. Yeah, George that guy. Said there are no good mariachi bands in Boston. That you know of. <laughs> oh my god. My favorite take on Zorro was that one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, it's, it, it's been a great journey and I'm really excited for the book to come out. Uh, the Wayne of Gotham comes out June 26th. Uh, this year. It's a crazy summer actually for us. I've got all kinds of projects. They're all seeming to come out about the same time. What else is going on at that same time? Well, that's, I've got on June the 6th um, the, the, the mass market edition of, uh, of Eventide, Dragon's Bard Ooh. Eventide Ooh. comes out and that's a beautiful book. That turned out really very, very well. Um, uh, and that's coming out from Shadow Mountain Press and uh, in hardback. So that's on now, June 26. Now, did you have to delete all the Zorro references from that? I did. I took all the Zorro reference out of that. However, I, I decided that I would like put Tolkien oh, in on boy. every third page. Nice. Perfect. Put in his poetry. That's the um, worst part of anything that he did. Well, it was that. I, and I, I, I've tried to refrain from poetry whenever possible. So we've got the we have the Eventide book that comes out uh, on June sixth. We've got the Batman novel Wayne of Gotham that comes out on the twenty sixth of that month. Um, we're the second book in the Dragon's Bard series that we're doing online on the website uh, at dragonsbard.com. That second book is Blackshore, which is our pirate book. Sweet. <gasps> yes, pirates. Oh, oh, you mean it's about pirates. No, they didn't, didn't no, I didn't actually pirate the book. No, I wrote okay. the actual book, but it, the book I wrote is about pirates. Oh my god, pirates. you should put it on the pirate yeah. screen the day it comes out. Just, just for <laughs> No. Listen, I, I really love this book. We, we, the, the, again, this is just, we've, I've had a lot of fun with pirates. I've always been fond of pirates, but I had a lot of fun with pirates. I love you uh, too. I mean, yeah. nothing. <laughs> so anyway that's coming out so the second book is coming out we're sending that out this summer and then we've also got the third the, and final book in the Dracus series is coming out this summer as well which is turning out to be just a tremendous 
bang up ending. It's 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 a real roller coaster ride when I get to the end of this book. So you know those those books are all coming out. I just um, we've just remodeled our Scribes Forge um, uh, writers website uh, and and our seminars on the website. We now have uh, we're not only do we have the writers course that we've had before, but we're also now introducing a whole series of online live video webinars where people um, can come in and talk with me directly about their writing um, and see my pretty face there as I, as I speak back to them. Um, and so we've introduced those, uh, that, that whole thing, which is very, very exciting for us. And in fact, yay presence here. Um, we've, uh, I've talked to Kriana and we're going to do uh, coupons, yeah. discount coupons for all of your fine listeners. So all you aspiring cool. writers yeah. out there, you can go hit Tracy up, and you'll get, all right, I have a list here, 20% off the Ultimate Writer's Course, which is the regular writer's course that, that's been up for a while, as well as the annual subscription to all of his live workshop webinars. And then you, you could also get 20% off if you just want the annual subscription to the live webinars, you can get 20% off that. If you just want to buy the writer's course, you can get 20% off that. Go forth and have fun. What Be deal. better at writing. I command you. Actually, if you take the ultimate, if you get the ultimate package, um, and with, which has everything included in it, that already is 40% off, and this is another 20% off of that. It's actually like it, uh, the, the 20% that we're giving you off is over $100 off, so it's, it's actually a pretty a good deal. It's a deal, guys, so... I am. I'm giving you guys a deal. I, I really would like. I, I, we really need to get writers in here to teach yeah, them writers story. Yeah, writers need to be better. And to, well, and not only teach. <laughs> yeah, writers. Get, all right, you slackers get out better. there. Come on. Well, it's not. It's not just that, but but writing as the publishing industry has completely changed, and it's you know it's evolve or become extinct. And and what we're teaching now is a new way of of gaining audience. I was going to say, Tracy, you're kind of like one of the revolutionaries of forcing this publishing evolution because, you know, from your standpoint, you really decided to, in some ways, opt out of it. Well, I don't, I think that, I think what we need to do is we need to move forward. I think that, I think that ebooks are here and, and no, no amount of clapping for the fairy is going to change that. And I think that it has changed. It used to be that it, it used to be that the point was to be published. It's no longer about being published. It's about being read. It's about having an audience. And truthfully, even even traditional publishers that I've talked to lately, when I will come and propose a book series to them, they want to know what my audience is for that book. It used to be you expected the publisher to bring the audience to you. You have to bring the publisher to the audience now. And so increasingly in this marketplace, it's, it's a question. You have to question whether you need a publisher. You have to question whether you need uh, a, uh, an agent and a publisher in the traditional okay, route. I'm, I'm going to go for the one thing because you can without editor. You need an editor. You do need an editor, but you can oh, hire sure. an editor. I'm not saying you have to go to a publisher to get and, an editor. I'm just saying. No, absolutely. But the point is that if you hi- if you're smart enough to hire an editor to make sure that your work is in actual <laughs> English and, and 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 reads and is readable, then then you know you there are ways for you to gain an audience and to gain a following and and to 
establish a career. One of the things that we talk about in Scribes Forge is we're not interested in helping you write one book. We want to help you establish a career. We want it, and, and we tell people uh, all of the time over there that you have not yet written your best work. That it's not about what you're writing now or just finished. It's what you're going to write next that's important. And 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 this is especially true when it comes to creating a, creating a, a a following, creating an audience that will come and read your work, appreciate your work, interpret it, make it real, and come back for more. And and that's what we want to talk about. It's, that's what we teach in Scribe Sports. That's what we want to talk about. That's what's important to us. To Laura and I here, as we're doing these seminars, is 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 uh, we're not interested in the one-hit wonder. What we're interested in is is teaching you the craft of writing, so that you can, uh, so that you can go uh, and uh, and have a career uh, and learn and grow and 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 tell stories throughout your life. That's that's what's important to us there. So we're doing these, we've remodeled all of our Scribes Forge seminars, and we're doing the live seminars now, which are a lot of fun because I get to talk to you face-to-face over the Internet. And, uh, and as if that weren't enough, um, I just got in on a, you know, there was a FedEx package on my porch today, and in it is a, a prototype for a Dragon's Bard game. Cool. Oh, cool. And it, and this prototype was sent to me by Richard Borg, um, who is one of, uh, I think, one of the most brilliant game designers uh, in the world today. Um, and he and I are working on this project uh, that we want to launch as Kickstarter this uh, this fall, this August, actually. Um, and, and it's a uh, it's a it's a fun game. I'm looking forward actually to playing it tonight. Um, and also. Uh, we're also planning on doing uh, our Santa's Sleigh Ride game uh, as a Kickstarter project this uh, nice. this fall. My last. favorite, my favorite. I bought the the one you guys had last year, and yeah. I just loved it. I yeah. really did. You like the play, Dom? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I don't think we got to play it while I was up. Damn it! No, we didn't. We'll have to pull it out. We'll but we can out. do that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's I, I love that game. It's it's very simple to teach. It's great for kids and adults, grandparents, grandkids. Fun for all. Uh, and it's got enough. Well, it is actually. It's got some really great strategy that's built into the board, so yep. that adults can actually enjoy the play of the game. Uh, and and the kids can you know kids may not understand all the strategy, but they'll enjoy. It. They'll have a great time with it. Kids, you have no chance. So yeah. <laughs> I will crush you. I will crush I will you under my sleigh. <laughs> so we've got, I, I, you know, we've just got an awful lot that, that that's going on this year, and and it's it's really a very exciting time. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, it's been a slow year for you. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's been a difficult year in a lot of ways, uh, simply because standard publishing their advances are really way low uh, at this point. So we have to work twice as hard, you know, for half the pay kind of thing. But, uh, but the truth is, I believe we're in an evolutionary period. I think we're in a time when things are changing. And, and I think that there are going to be those who change and, and, and adapt to the new reality of publishing who are going to come out the other end of this and are going to be doing great. 
They're going to have an audience of their own. They're going to be selling directly to that audience. They're going to do, be doing subscription books, and they're going to be doing Kickstarter kind of group funding projects. They're going to fund their books in advance, and that are going to gain them an audience in advance. Uh, that that are going to move that's going to move publishing forward in new directions and and in broader um, in broader appeal than it has uh, in in traditional publishing. Traditional publishing is going to need to change. I think is they're going to need to evolve too if they're going to survive. Uh, much as the same way as film uh, studios had to change their way of doing business in the '60s in order to survive. But uh, for those who are willing to, you know, to make that change, to learn what's new and to adapt to it, um, I I think that the future is uh, is very very exciting. It's pity for the you have no passion. I've been yeah. working on passion. Oh, I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> Kudos, even. No, okay, so, so I'm going to sweeten wow. the pot on your writer's course here, Tracy. Not, not only awesome. are we offering, you know, this really generous 20% on top discount to all these subscriptions that Tracy's offered, but we, we have that one webinar <coughs> that we were showing at Boston Comic Con last year on a loop. So to all of our listeners... If you come to Boston Comic Con, you're not sure you want to buy this stuff. All right, that's okay. Come to Boston Comic Con, stop by our booth, I'll play one for you. Your mind will be blown. Absolutely. You will then buy it. Yeah. So there's my offer. You, if you come visit us at Boston Comic Con, I'll give you a little card that says, Kriana says you're awesome, here's the coupon code in case you, you lose it, and then we'll play you one of these webinars and your mind will be blown. Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Hey, I'll wow. tell you what. I, even, if, you, if you can find an internet connection at Comic-Con, I will make an appearance oh. in your booth. Challenge accepted. <laughs> well, no, no, that's Someone find Boston. Kirby. <laughs> Boston, Boston Comic-Con. Right, right. He's going to make an appearance yes. over the interwebs, X. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I okay. So saying. save the yeah. date, Tracy. Yeah, I will. Because I'm gonna hold All you right, to that. All right. I will do this. You will make a very special okay, appearance yeah, let's on my do it. iPad at the booth. I was gonna Sweet. say, you're, yes, the 3G will work even if Kirby can't I'm get us all a hard sure connection. I'm pretty sure that the convention center has Wi-Fi. Just. Awesome. Hey, yeah, I, I, I think that'd be a lot of fun. I'm going to be at San Diego Comic Con. And so I figured, you know, I ought to be at Boston Comic Con. Bring your poetry. You have a captive yep. audience. You can make Tracy listen to it. <laughs> he may be mean to you afterwards. I take no responsibility for that. Hey, you know what would be kind of fun? It'd be fun to have like an excerpt from uh, from the Batman book. Oh. oh my! Yeah. But how would we get a, uh, an excerpt from the Batman book? Why well, I'd have to send it to you, but Ooh. you know. I've read it. It's quite good. Um, so I hear. <laughs> wow, we're tired. Hey, yes, hey, dear. Kriana. We have some promotional flash drives oh. to give away at nice. Boston. Don't Perhaps wait. That's true. And if somewhere there was a preview of Wayne of Gotham on that flash drive for people come get well, we could that might be kind of cool yeah we could probably what do you think, Tracy? Do we do I think that? that's a great idea yeah 
I'm thinking a prologue and a chapter would be a really good thing to put oh, on that. man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me yeah. too. Dear Illustrator X, please afford to email every guest we've ever had. <laughs> no joking. Like, no, this is awesome. We, we could have one thing from Tracy. And, you know, hey, maybe Doug Jones will donate a mime shot. <laughs> did I just make you spit out a liquid? <laughs> yes, you did. Spit God take. damn it! Yay! Yeah, I think I think spew fits for that absolutely. <laughs> oh, oh boy! I mean, maybe some of our oh, artists could make man. like I don't know a wallpaper. You know what? Every one of these, every one of these will have an audio track of his mime. <laughs> wow! Perfect. That's inspiring. Oh, wow! Like no, no, like don't you think we could have a couple people do some like. You know, wallpaper designs for your computer. People that we have had featured. <coughs> Freaky. <coughs> Freaky. <coughs> Sorry. Well, I'll tell you what. I'd like every... Uh, we're going to do all this fun stuff. And yes, I'll make an appearance in your booth. I think that'd be a lot awesome. of fun to do. And we'll uh, uh, we'll just we'll just arrange how to do that. I, th- I, I, know, I want everybody to come over to Scribes Forge and see what we're doing. I want everybody to come... Uh, to my uh, to Facebook because we've got a Wayne of Gotham page there on Facebook and and uh, and I'm on Facebook and please I I'm so desperate I want everyone to like me. Wait 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 um, wait has, has Sci-Fi Saturday Night liked Tracy Hickman yet? Uh, we certainly have. Have um, you? It, well I I hope you like me I I like you liked, so. Oh officially liked though I'll see we'll have to check into that. But yeah, please find me on Facebook. I love to be in touch with. I love to be directly in touch with the fans. I love to be di- directly in touch with the readers, and and I love to answer questions. So and we will you know, get every one we, of those links up on the podcast post, so that people can just clickety clickety click and go to all your little places on the web. Oh yes, come to my website. Come to my, come to my website. Come to my Facebook page. I tweet apparently <laughs> regularly. That's that's what they tell me. He tweets. And I do. Oh, I tweet. No. Wow. And uh, and yeah. And 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 like I said, we've got some really fabulous stuff. We're actually starting a new series this fall with with uh, uh, Daw Books um, called Knights of the Red Band, and uh, that's also going to be really exciting for us. So yeah, please come and see all the great and exciting stuff we're doing, and and the cool games that we're making. Nice. And when Wayne of Gotham is ready to debut. We'd love to have you back again in June. Sweet. Let's do that by all means. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, if I get some, can get some arcs of Wayne of Gotham, we send them your way. That would be the best. That would be the best. The book is Wayne of Gotham and there's the scribe forge writing series. And there are all this cool stuff that you can see on this website. We're going to have links to all of it. Our guest tonight, Tracy Hickman. Tracy, thank you so much. Always a delight. Love Sci-Fi Saturday Night. X, it's all yours, buddy. We love you too, but we got to make room for some other guests too. So next week, The Hills Have Eyes for actress Laura Ortiz as she previews her upcoming FearNet original series, Holliston, starring Dee Snyder. Then on April 7th, a Wicked Unscripted interview with Wicked Little studio artist Julie Myers. 
Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic-Con. Come meet the Sci-Fi Saturday Night crew at the Boston Comic-Con this April 21st and 22nd. Tickets available at www.bostoncomiccon.com. Come get some swag from people who like cool stuff. Tonight's outro music provided by the Traffic Lights. Pick up their CD, Hold a Folk, at robwattsonline.com. Dome? Our guest tonight, Tracy Hickman's new book, Wayne of Gotham, plus the Scribe Forge writing series, plus the Blackshore series, and a whole ton of other cool stuff. I want to thank the usual suspects tonight from the Revere Time Boardhawks, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana and Grammar Girl, Zombrarian. Thank you, ladies. Kelbunga! But if Michael Bay takes out the ooze, what will the toy tie-in be? From the Vorkel of all the cops, it's Illustrator X. Good night, everybody, and Dead Redhead? Good night, everybody! Yo, you are in trouble. This is Dome Scene, Genie's shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. I know.